Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Today is a very special episode. I say that a lot, but today is different. I'm joined by three amazing guests, and we're going to do something a little different today. First, let me introduce said guest, um, returning fan favorite, Dr. Sophie Balzora. Dr. Balzora, can I call you Sophie? Of course, of course, Kaveh. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, (laughs) I've never said my last name on the show, so you have to call me Kaveh. Sophie, welcome back. Thanks for coming back. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited for this bonus episode, I guess we're calling it. You know what? It's a full-fledged episode in and of itself. We have a lot to cover here. We have a lot to discuss. And also joining us, we have another returning fan favorite, Nurse Kelsey, who I just call Nurse Kelsey, because I'm not even sure I know your last name, Nurse Kelsey. Yeah. Yeah, I think I get called that more than my real name, so that's fair. Nurse Kelsey, how are you? Oh, I'm I'm go- I'm probably about as good as everybody is. So good. great, hanging in great. there, great. not eating any, drinking delicious tea with a tiny spoon, which I'm jealous of. For the listeners, um, while we've been uh, warming up here and talking, Doctor Balzora Sophie has been um, drinking tea with a spoon which is the weirdest thing I think I've ever seen her do. And I, it's adorable. Don't get it's me very wrong. very endearing. But she drinks her tea with a spoon. <laughs> I just don't understand it. She's regretting this decision already. <laughs> do you drink all liquids via spoon or is it just tea? Mostly the hot ones. So what about a milkshake? I mean, a straw, of course. Okay, that makes sense. Of course. Right. Right. I just I wanted to make sure that the world hadn't turned upside down. <laughs> you're in New York. Kelsey, you're in Wisconsin, correct? Correct. And maybe we don't know how, how things are in New York. Maybe that's like what people do. Um, joining us from another part of the world, from Austin, Texas, Dr. Harry Thomas is also coming on the show today. Dr. Thomas, can I call you Harry? Please do, Kaveh. All right. God, I love that accent. Fill our listeners in because this is your first time on the show about who you are, um, what you do, all that stuff. Yeah, well, I'm excited to be here. I'm a, also a gastroenterologist in, in Texas and uh, excited to uh, be on the show and uh, answer some listener mail today. Yeah, you have a classic Texas accent, too, which is really what I enjoy about you. It's from far east Texas. As, yes, yes. As I well. tell some of the music. Okay, so thank you all for joining me. So, uh, you know, when I first started the show, we about three or four years ago, we took a lot of listener questions, a lot of listener emails. And uh, I haven't done that for a long time, partially because when I started the show, there was two other people helping me. 
those two other people are no longer here. So it's just me. So I, I really have a hard time getting through all the email and stuff. But so many of these questions are good. So many of these topics are great. And uh, I figured we should just spend a whole episode with some people I really enjoy talking about some of them, getting you guys to weigh in. Let's do a little bit of a, a roundtable discussion on it. Let's go ahead and get started with them. What do you guys think? Okay. So this, we'll start with something that is close to topical. In today's sort of news cycle and online, things move so quickly. I think we've already moved past it. But about a week ago, there was a tweet that came up from the Columbia University Department of Psychiatry chair. And so I got an email. I got two emails about it. Uh, one of them from Sylvia says, Kaveh, I think it would be interesting to hear you cover the recent Lieberman debacle. That's the name of the doctor, Lieberman. I find it troubling that more white slash white facing doctors are not decrying it. I, I think what white facing means is someone who is maybe passing. I never heard white facing. White, white facing. You? Yeah, there. I assume that's what it meant. Sorry, <laughs> Sylvia, if I'm ruining your question. So let me let me give people who don't know who are not terminally online like ourselves. Let me give them a little background about what that means. So. Um, I, I don't know how long ago it was, maybe just last month, the, the chair, I said, of the Columbia University Psychiatry Department tweeted something pretty awful. There was a picture of a American model, she's of Sudanese descent, named Naikim Gatwich. I think I'm saying that right. I hope so. It was a picture of her, and he quote tweeted this picture saying, whether a work of art or a freak of nature, she's a beautiful sight to behold. It's a pretty problematic tweet for a lot of reasons. Uh, Sophie, I'm gonna let you start this off, please. What were your, when you saw that, what was your first take on that? I mean, a lot of things. Um, you know, you, you always think about, yes, there's this one incident, right? In isolation and of course people make mistakes and missteps and they may say something very flippantly or just write a quick tweet and then don't think much of it, but I think it just speaks to a larger problem because when you see something like this, you may think, wow, what else is there? Is this just the tip of the iceberg? You know, I think that that's kind of the bigger issue. I think sometimes people get into the weeds and think like, you know, it's just this, and try to dissect this, this one comment or one tweet, but it just speaks to a bigger issue that he holds a very big leadership position as somebody who you know, people's mental health, right? And people are in a very fragile state or very vulnerable state. And this is something that they write very, uh, I don't know if it was flippantly, but something that somebody writes very publicly. Um, you know, what else are they thinking both, you know, within their own head, but also, you know, how those thoughts manifest, whether it's who they hire, who they don't hire, who they mm -hmm. think about for positions, how they deal with their patients, you know, just all sorts of things that it touches. And I think that that's the bigger issue. Mm -hmm. And I think for some people, it can be quite triggering because they, you know, as many have referenced and I've certainly experienced, um, it, people want to touch your hair, people want to objectify you, people think that you're I don't want to say necessarily subhuman, but just not human, right? And so that objectification is what I think most troubling in the in the tweet. So it's just like not seeing people as human beings, like calling a, a person a freak of nature, especially in the context that he did. I know that term is used quite often, but is is just incredibly, you know, it's incredibly troubling. So I think that that's what a lot of people took from it. Um, and of course, other people say, again, like, oh, it's just one, it's an offhanded comment. Um, it was a compliment. He's calling her beautiful. But there's just, I mean, that's just a very superficial kind of safe um, way to think. And I think it, it does protect the potential offender without really looking to see what the implications of those types of statements are. That's yeah. a long answer to your... That's a great answer. It's actually, I should, let me just clarify too. He is a, he is a white um, doctor. And after this happened, he was suspended by his department and he deleted the tweet. And then later his account before he did that, he did put out an apology. Um, I don't know if you had a chance to read it or not. It, it you know, it was something along the lines of, you know, I, I, I did something wrong and I, I must have my own biases. I have to look into that. I'm living, I'm learning something along those lines. But the thing about it that's so interesting to me is that just like you said, in his mind, it's clear that this was a compliment. He thought he was being a good guy. In his mind, he's like, look how open-minded I am. <laughs> look, look at me, you know? 
And, and that's that's what I found so interesting about this. Harry, what, what were your thoughts when you saw it? Um, yeah, I think one of my first thoughts is why is this um, professor of psychiatry even commenting in the first place about this? I, you know, it's not really germane to his day-to-day, you know, practice or leadership role. He's kind of venturing into an area that's kind of a little tangential. And then the comment was, um, I think, offensive to a lot of people. Uh, but also what was pretty bad was his tweets in response to some of the people calling him out. Now, his eventual apology, I think, uh, was reasonable. Uh, but before he got there, um, there were a series of tweets, which obviously got deleted, that showed that he really didn't understand what the problem was. Mm. And he really was giving a lesson in how not to apologize. You know, there are like several steps in how to actually make an effective apology. And he, he was kind of failing at all of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think that um, as actually a friend of mine, um, who's herself a psychiatrist, Dr. Nicole Christian Braithwaite, I am quoting uh, what she said in response, and this was actually picked up by um, uh, some news publication. She said, this is why representation in medical education slash leadership is essential. Uh, This is why training racism slash bias slash social determinants of health must be incorporated into medical training. Chair of a department comfortably calling another human being freak of nature because of skin color is unacceptable. And I, I think that's all true. You know, some some people came to his defense. Um, there was uh, a piece in the New York Times um, opinion section by John McWhorter, who's also a faculty member at Columbia, is a somewhat controversial figure himself. But, you know, he was saying that, you know, he didn't call, him, call her a freak. Uh, he was calling her a freak of nature, you know, trying to make that distinction. Um, but I'm not sure. I, I, I think a lot of people, especially people of color, um, you know, did, did find it, uh, offensive and just like, uh, Sophie mentioned, it makes you wonder what else was going on. And then some people brought up the fact that this wasn't just an isolated incident. I, I must confess, I, I, I didn't know who he was before. When you look at his credentials, it seemed like this was really somebody reached the very top of that field, you know, chair of the American Psychiatric Association. And you think, gosh, I mean, just one bad tweet, you know. But actually, there was some history. Um, apparently, when, you know, Donald Trump was just running, a bunch of psychiatrists um, put out some stuff um, professionally about whether or not he was fit to run from a uh, kind of behavioral mental standpoint. And apparently he, he was uh, pretty actively involved in stifling that conversation in the psychiatric community at that time. Um, I don't know too much else about his background, but um, several people who were in didn't seem to be too, too surprised at what happened. That's what I read also. The thing about the Trump thing, though, that is a tough one for me because as much as I dislike Trump and I'm not a huge fan, I think anyone who listens to the show knows that it does. It did make me a little uncomfortable when the psychiatric, uh, when these psychiatrists were, you know, trying to, to give him a diagnosis. Um, I feel like that's sort of a slippery slope to do. I don't feel like that's something they could do uh, appropriately, but I have also heard just like you kind of mentioned, there's been some history of complaints um, against this guy in the past. And at least when this article came out, there it was picked up nationally new york times and new york post and a bunch of people started covering this especially in the new york area but even beyond and there was no shortage of people that they could find that had some issues with the guy um nurse kelsey as the only truly white member of this panel here tonight i'm off white um uh, this is the point where you uh, apologize for all white no i'm just kidding um what's your take on this um i think to speak to both of the points that Sophie and Harry had made of it, you, it tells you a lot more about um, not just the one tweet, but what else he had that he just so flippantly put it out there on a topic he really didn't need to weigh in on at all. No one was awaiting his take on that. He chose to take whatever quote he, whatever tweet he was quote tweeting, put that on his page and stick his two cents that nobody needed to hear. And then that he thought it wasn't a big enough deal that he didn't need to censor himself. But that wasn't something that he felt he needed to be kind of careful how he worded is very telling. 
Yeah. And that he thought he could just spew that kind of wordage out into the world and that it made the someone's timeline better. It made that woman feel better. I mean, clearly he doesn't understand race relations or how women work because there's not <laughs> any woman who's like freaking nature. Perfect. That is the best compliment <laughs> I've gotten. Like, is, every, he failed every single step of what he was attempting to do, but he insulted her like coming and going. Yeah. So I have a feeling it's one of those things where he's like, oh, let me write this tweet and then just turned off his phone and then opened it up and was like, holy, like, you know, that. like, I don't, I really, I, I would imagine he did something that I didn't think much of. Um, right. Which is more telling, right? Like to your right, first exactly. point of the fact that you can just toss that out there and be like, hey, going to go live my life now and just yeah. to- royally screwed his career as he should. I mean, there should be consequences to that. So, so here's, I guess the, qu- the question I have though is, um, can we accept apologies? When is an apology good enough? Is it ever good enough? I mean, do we have room for that in this in this country in this timeline? Can you know how what could he have done that would have made this oh not better, but you know what would have been enough? I think of course there's room for apology. I think you know again we are all human and we're growing up in this same cultural you know, culture. And so a lot of people are exposed to these types of messages. So um, I'm not saying there isn't individual um, agency, right? I mean, of course, people have to be responsible for what they say. But I do think, of course, we have to be open to people who are understanding their mistakes. I think the issue becomes when people say things like, I'm sorry if this offended you, you know, I think that that's very different. um, And that implies that actually what I said wasn't necessarily wrong or hurtful or um, discriminatory or ignorant, but the way that you absorbed it um, was offensive. And so because you feel that way, I'm sorry. And so that's not that I think that's what people get at when they say that's not a true apology. There needs to be more. I did this. I did that as opposed to I'm sorry you were you felt this way, you know, kind of throws it back on the person that you're already offending. So Mm-hmm. I think that's what we need to take away from from that situation. Is there as any a psychologist you think you wouldn't like you would think you would understand that angle of it of the apology is not about what he feels or thinks about it. It's it's like impact versus intent, right? Like his intent may have been what whatever it was, but the impact was massive and had huge ripples. Was there ever feedback from her? To, has she spoken on this issue, the model that he was discussing? You know, I did see something actually on Instagram that unfortunately, not necessarily from his tweet, but the tweet that was retweeted about this whole Guinness Book of World Records due to being the darkest person on earth, which is absolutely absurd. Um, You know, people were, people thought that somehow she was involved in that in saying something like that or claiming that that was true. And she was like, this does not exist. You know, this Guinness Book of World Record thing that this person wrote down was completely false. And and I think in that sense, it was um, potentially damaging her brand and her business. Um, so I, I had seen something that referenced that, but not necessarily the tweet um, that we're talking about. Yeah, I had heard the same thing or read the same thing. Uh, it sounded like she became aware of um, some of the discussion around it. I, I get the sense that she is trying to distance herself a little bit from it. I mean, I don't think she wants to define herself by this awful tweet. And it is, it is, you know, again, to me, I think the, the funniest part was that he didn't have the insight to, to know that it was not even not a compliment, but it was racist. I mean, it's one thing to not know it's racist. It's another thing to think it was a compliment. And, and that is a disturbing lack of insight for a psych, psychiatrist. Sorry. I wonder what situation there could be where he keeps his job. Do you know what I mean? Like, he does hold a lot of responsibility. He does hold a lot of power. And this does say a lot about, you know, possible implicit biases that he has and he doesn't even know about. And how can someone in that position be allowed to keep their job? I would like to believe that there is a way he could, just because I do believe everyone screws up. And I do like the concept of people being able to fix that and to learn from that and improve. But I'm not quite sure how that would work. Like, is there a scenario in which he's allowed to keep his job and people are more or less okay with that? I don't, I don't see that being possible. Do you guys see that being a possibility? No, I think we don't know. We don't know everything. 
right? I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, we just don't know. We don't know all the facts. We don't know, you know, the background as, as others have mentioned, like there, there are likely other incidents, which I, I've understood to be true, but, you know, who knows what else was factored into this decision. So I think it's impossible for us to say, but, um, you know, depending on the severity of one situation, it's hard to, um, for people to lose those types of positions that, you know, there usually is some type of history of behavior. Yeah. So you're saying an investigation needs to be done. Someone needs to look into the history, see if there's other complaints like this and based on that, make a decision. Yeah. I mean, just like anything else. Right. I mean, I just feel like, yeah, of course, you know, institutions want to salvage reputations and especially in this day and age, you know, people need to take those types of things seriously, but um, ultimately, you know, to fire somebody over one mistake, such as this is is unlikely. I think that there oftentimes is just a lot more than anybody knows. You know, we, we don't we, we don't know. We know very little, but um, mm-hmm. who knows what it'll take. But but a lot of times it is a, a pattern of behavior, not just one isolated incident. All right. All right. Let's move on to a different question then. Uh, so here is a longer one, but I think it's pretty good. And so I'm going to read through. I should also say that for almost all of these um, that I'm reading, I've done some editing for you know, time uh, or spelling, or, or I've done a little bit of editing of the question, but the, the, the basic question is still there. Here is one um, from win XP joke generator, which I'm sure means <laughs> something to somebody, but means nothing to me. I love that. Hi, Kave. I'm a regular podcast listener with a question that's longer than I intended, but seems relevant. I'm a regular old civilian normie, non-healthcare worker. And at some point back in 2020, There was a push towards, there's a pandemic, everyone should follow more doctors on Twitter. That's great and all, but what I found is that med Twitter falls somewhere between a place where doctors clarify misinformation and where they vent about various frustrations they have about healthcare, both the system generally and their patients. Both of those are completely valid and healthcare workers deserve spaces online and otherwise to air those frustrations, including frustrations with patients, the vast majority of which are not rude, insulting, etc. On the other hand, I feel like I'm now privy to those discussions in a way that I shouldn't, and that has to some extent eroded my trust in healthcare and doctors generally. So my question is, am I alone in this? In any case, I hope you're well. Appreciate the content you are putting out. Uh, so helpful. There are COVID times. Thank you for your hard work. So that's a, it's a big question, and there's a lot of parts to it. But did you guys get the general gist of it, and, and what do you guys think? Um, yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, I think that, um, you know, it, it's such a vast uh, sphere of uh, healthcare professionals and students. Um, and so everyone's experience is going to be a little different. Um, I do think it is important, especially if you're not anonymous, to really remember that, you know, patients are reading your um, tweets, uh, other content. Um, whether they engage or not. Um, and, um, you know, bear that in mind when you're tweeting. I, I um, think it is um, obviously important to get consent before, you know, posting any images or anything like that. Um, you know, follow all those kind of HIPAA guidelines um, about like the 18 different, you know, points of identification. Uh, I think sometimes it's... Um, know, tempting to put stuff out there without um, uh, considering that. You've got to be extremely careful. Um, In terms of uh, the pandemic, um, I think it's been helpful for many healthcare providers to connect with others, you know, over the course um, of the past two years um, about shared experiences. And... um, um, I can see why some of that may be disturbing for other people to see um, publicly. Although I, I think that one of our failures, not just in the US, but in the world in general, has been, you know, because of all our strict HIPAA laws uh, and other laws in other countries uh, about what can be shown from hospitals, like videos, there has been very limited understanding by the public in terms of what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my old, uh, co-residents pointed this out like back in May, uh, of 2020. And 
I wasn't entirely sure what he meant because, I mean, at that time, there were already uh, photos of those uh, refrigerated morgue trucks in New York. And I was thinking, well, what else do people want to know? I mean, that, I mean, that never happens. This is something highly atypical. But he was right because clearly people, a lot of people didn't really uh, believe it. And um, um, I actually think that we've done a little bit of a disservice uh, by not showing more photographs and videos. There was actually just something from Hong Kong that I saw. Of, it was a very disturbing image of basically body bags in between actual patient um, gurneys. Uh, wow. There were live patients next to body bags. Uh, it was an extremely disturbing image, but um, those uh, uh, images that you know were hard to um, uh, deny and um, I think they they do show a lot about how healthcare systems kind of collapsed in the face of this pandemic. And so um, um, those are some of my preliminary thoughts about it. Um, in terms of uh, the respect that people may have or lose about healthcare professionals by viewing uh, our exchanges online, um, it's... it's um, it's interesting. Um, I mean, definitely, I always get the sense that I'm kind of eavesdropping on other people, um, you know, through this. It's this kind of interesting thing about social media. Um, and um, I'm going to have to reflect a little more on that. It's a really fine line, right? Like on one hand, um, there's so many helpful aspects to doctors communicating on Twitter amongst ourselves. Just the practical aspect, we learn things. We, we are ahead of the curve in some ways um, because of that. Emotionally, it helps us. In some ways, it doesn't. I acknowledge that, uh, you know, a non-doctor seeing me tell Dr. Oz to eat a bag of dicks probably isn't the most professional thing they could see me doing. But I God, it makes, me feel, it makes me feel so much better. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, anyways, uh, Sophie, what do, you, what do you think? Um, it's hard for me to speak after that, but um, yeah, I think it's tough. I think that um, sometimes, yeah, you don't realize that that people are watching even if they're not engaging, right? Um, as Harry said, and uh, but at the same time, I mean, think about suicide rates among healthcare professionals. Think about mental health issues. I mean, is it supposed to be a situation where we sugarcoat things and aren't honest about things? You know, I, I don't think that that's healthy either. I mean, of course, we don't want to. Um, make fun of patients or, or have them, you know, say, oh, are they talking about me when they're kind of referencing something good or bad or some type of message that we're sending about diseases or awareness or things that you saw that were sad and, and you know, affected you. But at the same time, it's like you're getting insight into um, an important side of medicine, you know, and I, I think that, um, yeah, it might be difficult to see, but you can always turn it off. I mean, like like this like this like this person who sent in the question, which was a, a very good one. Um, yeah, he he kind of tailored his feed so that he doesn't receive this information, and that's of course that person's prerogative. But ultimately, I think these things need to come out into the light because otherwise, people don't understand why. Oh, you guys are making a lot of money. You know, you have a job security. Like, what? What? What's the problem? Like, why? Why? Why are suicide rates as they are? Why are people having mental health issues? Like, what's this whole burnout situation? You guys have no reason um, to be burnt out and aren't deserving of those types of conversations. But when you see what, you know, what people are really dealing with, and you see your colleagues and you know, all across the health professional, you know, spectrum struggling, I think that that's important. Um, so it's like one of those things where it's almost like, if, I mean, I'm not comparing it to superheroes, but just like when you see a superhero humanized, right? Or you see them fall or something. Sometimes you're like, you know, actually, I kind of don't want to see that. I want to put you on a pedestal and keep it that way. Or I want to keep you in a certain box. But I think it just, it makes us more dynamic. It makes us more personable, in my opinion. Um, but don't you think those, not like that. don't you think those days are long gone of people really idle? 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Realizing doctors, don't you think? Oh that's yeah, I'm not saying that they. I, that was just my my. That was the most tangible example. Um, yeah. But but I, I don't. Yeah, I definitely don't think that's true. I don't think anybody puts. A lot of people don't put us on a pedestal. But just in terms of, I think I think that a lot of healthcare professionals are kind of thought to be a certain way and in, in a certain position and can't really break from that. And if it's if if we're thought to be um, humanized in, in, in that type of way and having different emotions just about different people that we're meeting on a daily basis, then somehow we're uh, deemed like unprofessional. Yeah, that word unprofessional is weaponized quite a bit. Um, and Nurse Kelsey, nurses are not immune to this either. I feel like nurses will try and make like a fun video uh, and they'll like do a dance. And then someone will be like, how dare you guys dance when there's sick patients in the hospital. And then someone's like, but we're just dancing to relieve ourselves from the stress. And then someone will get mad about that. Um, where, how is this playing out for nurses as well? So I think there's two ways that you can use social media. Um, one is the way that could potentially change your patients or coworkers or anyone who saw you um, viewpoint of you. If you're spending it complaining that you hate your job, you don't want to go there, that you're so burned out and you had this one patient who was so stupid and something's right. Like there's a way that you can use social media in really just awful way that makes you look unprofessional, that maybe you shouldn't be having that account linked to your real name slash your real job. But there's also the side of social media that I think a lot, I mean, the four of us certainly have used it to um, better your individual practice, to share in how truly hard the last two years have been with other people who've also been there, who've been front lines on things. Um, I got very candid throughout it as I worked, you know, bedside with COVID patients and um, was able to relay a lot of information that was not filtered other than, you know, a very HIPAA conscious as able to give rough ideas of case counts in our area and, you know, discuss these are treatments we've been trying or these are trends we're seeing in patients or so it kind of was like, um, it's not a bubbler, but a water fountain, we call it a bubbler. <laughs> put a water fountain talk oh. like <laughs> oh regional yeah. oh regional podcast talk um so it's like the things that you would talk about with your coworkers that you would text you know a coworker in another part of the country are you guys seeing this because not a lot of that communication was being shared through the media right oh, yeah. but you could mm -hmm. be like we're having this breakthrough that this is working really well is this working for you because we're seeing this type of patient with delta versus this type of patient with omicron and so hopefully that kind of information can be helpful to lay people or to patients to see us, you know, in our off hours, still continuing to work and still continuing to better our practice. But you have to be cognizant that yes, they are always watching and it is not the appropriate or professional place to vent and complain, even though you're entitled to do that, do that privately in a text message to somebody. Yeah. One thing that I was interviewed recently for something uh, about doctors using humor. And I feel like there's really only one rule to that. And I think it applies to social media in general, which is you just don't punch down. And you know, that's something I, I'm very confident that the three of you never do. We may, Harry and I in particular, may uh, uh, lash out at some other doctor contrarians on Twitter mm -hmm. who say outrageous things about COVID and make fun of them. Um, and you guys are a much more diplomatic and disciplined than us but still even that being said i think all 
all four of us have been really careful to not ever punch down. And there is a dynamic difference between a patient and a doctor and, uh, or a nurse and a doctor, a nurse and a patient. So I think we're all mindful of that. To me, I, I feel like that has to be sort of the, the line that we draw in the sand. All right. It, it, let me go on to another question. We got a lot, got a lot of questions here. Um, let's see. Uh, what happened to Joe and Lizzie? Were they canceled from Steven? Uh, so as I mentioned before, <laughs> when I started the show, there were two other hosts, uh, Joe and Lizzie. And God, Sophie knows, but not most people do. And it, trust me, I want to talk about it. People, I get this question. This is a common question I get, some variation of this. It must be. It's a pretty common question. Um, For newer listeners, again, uh, in the past, there used to be two hosts, two other hosts, and and they left. Um, And I want to talk about it because, yeah, I mean, it would make me feel better. And I need to vent. And Sophie's shaking her head, and and I'm not going to. I was wondering myself, probably. I, you know, I get it. And, and the thing is, the, one of the reasons I haven't said anything is just because I feel like it's not really fair for me to, because I have like a voice and I have like a show and it's not really fair if I do that. That being said, Joe is coming back on the show in a, in a couple of weeks to talk about it. So you will be able to hear that. I, I, I will let him tell his story. Um, and, uh, and, and I feel like that would be the, the best way to do it, right? I think that's wonderful. Okay, Sophie approves. That's, that's all. Yeah, that's all I care about. Um, but the long and short of it is, if you're wondering, I'm a difficult person. Okay, uh, let's see. <laughs> all right, can you discuss romantic relationships in the medical world? What we see on Grey's Anatomy makes the hospital seem like a very horny place. <laughs> Karen, Karen with two A's. Um, I don't know if that's really the way Karen spells her name, like where she. I'm assuming she changed it because, you know, like the whole Karen thing. Anyways, uh, this is a really good question. Um, How do you guys, uh, uh, let's start with you, Kelsey. uh, Romantic relationships in the workplace, is is it like Grey's Anatomy? God, not in the slightest. We are all so disgusting at work. Like, (laughs) you you don't want to interact with anyone else. You don't want to touch anyone else. Like, you... No, thank you. And like the last thing I want to do when I'm working is like literally touch anyone else because I take care of people all day long. Like I, plus I'm married to not medical person, but even if I were single, it wasn't going to be happening at work. Work yeah. is disgusting. COVID has definitely made the hospital a much less sexy place. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, like people wearing pappers and like seven layers of PPE is not exactly a turn on. Can, can I, uh, well, let, let, let me go to the, uh, to the other doctors on this panel here uh harry let's 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 hear from you um it, what do you think uh, is there any truth to to these sorts of i haven't actually watched gray's anatomy so i don't entirely know but i assume it's like a lot of hooking up and drama and that sort of thing um particularly in residency do you feel that to be the case yeah i think um as with other professions where people are spending prolonged periods of time uh with others i mean that does happen you know, from time to time as to whether it happens more in healthcare than other professions. I'm not entirely sure. I think residency does have this kind of, uh, kind of, kind of intense experience where, you know, people come from different parts of the country, different parts of the world or put together, you know, through this kind of grueling experience. So inevitably, you know, you form strong bonds and people can form relationships uh, through that. Um, um, but yeah, I agree. I think uh, COVID has definitely uh, <laughs> put a damper on things. Um, and um, yeah, again, it's something that you have to be kind of careful about, you know, with people, you know, from different departments and different um, uh, roles in the hospital, um, you know, uh, trying not to let those things interfere with patient care and stuff. Um, so. Right. So Sophie, along those lines, there's all these power dynamics in the hospital. There's uh, medical students and interns and interns and residents and residents and attendings and fellows. And there's nurses in this mix and there's traveling nurses in this mix. And we're all, especially during residency and in training, living there. I mean, they call residency residents because they live there, essentially. That's all you're exposed to. 
um, for the most part. I mean, where is dating in the hospital even okay? And in what situations is it not? Mm. So I'll say that my, you know, perspective is, mm-hmm. is different from the other two because I'm married to a former co-resident. So, <laughs> were you at the same, we, we talked about this before, but I want to clarify, were you guys at the same level or was one of you ahead of the other? He, he was ahead. Mm, yeah, yeah. scandal but yes. you were both residents though at the time um yeah it started out as that and then uh and then he finished and did one um attending year before doing fellowship so at one point there was you know a little bit of a hierarchy as we say but was i'll he- say that i mean in my residency i mean a lot of people marry you know I mean, you're just together all the time. It's inevitable, yeah. right? I mean, there's the whole hospital hot thing, right? Where people say someone's hospital hot, where outside of the hospital, they make oh, yeah. like garbage. In the I'm, an, I'm an on-call nine, but like I'm a downtown three. <laughs> right, exactly. Absolutely. So I'm great anatomy, but um, yeah, I mean, come on. I think it's different for nurses too. We don't live there. Right. So like- I, I'm not going to choose to find my romantic relationship when I'm only there 36 hours a week. Right. Like I don't, I'm not a resident and you'd rather just like work is work and home is home. That's totally there are a lot of residents who, there are a lot of residents who hooked up with um, nurses. Oh yeah. That was not me. So maybe it's the, like, <laughs> there are people who do that, that <laughs> regardless of what you know what they go into they're going to just be people who have relationships with people they work with and they just happen right. to be in healthcare. i don't think it happens what well, more per se. well kelsey yeah. what about nurse doctor relationships we know it happens all the time um and we know that sometimes it's very fruitful you know mm-hmm. like we know mm-hmm. people married a lot of mm-hmm. people who are married in the doctor nurse relationship i mean mm-hmm. there is a power dynamic there right how is that okay? I mean, what can we only date people who are at the exact same level as us in training? So I would say that's probably shifted even in my 15 years, the power dynamic of like you write orders, we fulfill orders. Mm-hmm. It's become more of a shared patient-centered care plan. And like physicians are not our bosses anymore, especially in a hospital setting, right? So like they don't really have power to fire us. So if the relationship doesn't work, the relationship doesn't work. It doesn't mean suddenly going to get fired that like it may have in the past. Mm. Um, so if it happens, that's fine. There can certainly be, that doesn't mean that there's going to be a power dynamic difference in the marriage and connecting with someone else who understands healthcare is totally valid. Whether you are doctor, nurse, two nurses, two doctors, it's a lifestyle as much as we try to make it home and work working in healthcare and being in medicine is a lifestyle. And if you can find someone that understands that and can connect with you about that, it makes sense that there would be a connection, love connection or otherwise. You, you know, I certainly met people via online sources and from other sources other than the hospital. But at the end of the day, I personally found it very challenging to make a relationship with someone not in the hospital setting work. Because especially in the training process, it's so stressful and your time is so limited and your energy is, can be so in, in such like small quantities, you have to really hoard it emotional and physical and otherwise, it's almost hard to find somebody who could really understand that who wasn't in the hospital setting uh, via be a nurse or a, a doctor or, or something along those lines. So I do find it to be a very difficult concept. And I, I do feel like it's, the environment in which you know you find yourself how can you not end up in relationships that's just human nature i i guess though if i had a friend who was in a situation where he was about to or she was about to start dating somebody else that they worked with i would probably caution them not because i think ethically it's wrong necessarily in some situations, it might be if you're like an attending, it's a medical student. I think there's some problems there. Although we also all know some story where that worked out and people are married happily, etc. But there's definitely a power dynamic there that's uh, concerning. But like, um, I would, I would probably, even though I don't feel ethically might be wrong, I would still say, hey, I caution you on this, just because there's there's trouble that can be had in these situations. Um, Any field, though, not just in healthcare. I mean, in general general dating anyone that you work with regardless of fields can be quite dangerous yeah 
Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. Okay. Let's two more. Do you guys got time for two more energy for two more? What do you guys think? Okay. Go for it. Let's do, let's do a quick one. Cause I get this all the time and, and Sophie thinks I'm making this up, but I get this question all the time <laughs> and I'm going to answer it again. What is the band slash music playing in the podcast at the beginning and the end? Thanks Vicky. That's my band. Joe's in it, by the way, uh, and Nadim, producer, and a couple of our other friends. It's called The Resurrection Men. Okay, now, uh, last real question is, why so many grifters and contrarians, though? What happens to doctors that make them so willing to abandon their principles? This is from Ken. It certainly seems like there's always been medical grifters. There's always been people willing to, to make some money with their medical profession, with you know, their, their medical license or their nursing license. It does seem that recently there's been a, 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 a shift, a dramatic shift in people who we used to think were pretty reasonable, respectable doctors, some of which are making that turn, at least in our opinion. Why do you think that's happening? Uh, start with you, Harry. Um, I think it happens due to a number of reasons. Um, I think some people do like the limelight um you know getting invited to appear on tv interviews radio newspapers and um it becomes a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy they just you know keep on uh, producing the kind of content that uh, results in uh, those uh kind of requests i think for other people there may be financial incentives you know you look at um the amount of revenue you can generate on YouTube, um, for example, or through Substack, which is this um, blog type uh, platform, which can be monetized. You know, there are some people on Substack with very popular uh, feeds who are generating like millions of dollars a year, yeah. um, you know, from email newsletters, basically. And so it can be a big business. Um, and other people, I think, you know, they're using it as a stepping stone to, you know, possible political aspirations and, you know, getting more name recognition. And, and so I think, I think it happens due to a number of reasons. I mean, people have always been like this. There have always been snake oil uh, salesmen and such. But now it's this sort of... Um, amped up environment where everyone's looking for advice and people follow uh, others who seem to jive with their kind of uh, preconceived notions about things. And so these people have the ability to generate much bigger platforms than they might in a non-pandemic environment. Yeah, excellent answer. Sophie, Kelsey? Go ahead. I, I mean, I just feel like I don't really, I mean, the, the main time that I'm seeing that is actually when Kavi's tweeting about it. Um, <laughs> other than the, like the really well-known folks, like, like, you know, those who are going to be running for office, who have been, you know. Say um, his name. Say it. You can, by Dr. Oz, you can say it. It's, he's not Voldemort. Um, Right. But yeah, I mean, it's sad. I just wonder what they're really thinking in their heart of hearts. Like, do they truly believe what they're putting out there? And do they know the, the potential damage that it's causing, you know, for those who are naive and, and do believe, you know, maybe some of the things that they're saying? I think that that's like, it's just the really saddest part. But um, I, I didn't realize how um, about this, these things like Substack, I guess I just didn't realize the, um, the potential financial benefit of it. I definitely understand people wanting fame and whatnot, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think with social media, things light like fire. So perhaps people are always doing this, but now there's just, just ready platform for people to just take it all in and absorb it. And it's incredibly scary. I mean, yeah. um, but I really just wonder like in terms of institutions, when they see this sort of thing being put out like reputable institutions, how they manage that, right. How do they mitigate yeah. that? And what, what are grounds for, um, like censoring somebody or firing somebody um, for putting out this type of misinformation. Yeah. Harry's called out UCSF a number of times for the number <laughs> of questionable uh, contrarian tweets that come from that institution, which is in, you know, where I live and is really disappointing because it's such a prestigious and right, I, you know, I personally love about. the place. Yeah. I personally think mm -hmm. they do amazing work. So it is really shocking to see that, you know, um, Kelsey. Oh, I'm sorry, Harry, go on. 
Oh, I was going to say, but they come from everywhere. You know, it's um, many different big name institutions, some not so big name institutions, but um, it's kind of non-discriminating in terms of where they come from. And um, um, I think some of them, though, from these bigger institutions do use that kind of um, uh, the name recognition and stuff to, you know, help with their initial promotion. And so it is surprising to see that those institutions haven't really said uh, too much at all. Yeah. Yeah. I worked very closely prior to the pandemic with a doctor who ended up getting fired from our institution. He was our medical director. And now he's huge into ivermectin and went before Congress speaking about ivermectin. He's been with Joe Rogan about ivermectin. And he was, a, you know, we're a level one, one of level, one of two level one trauma centers in our state. And he was our medical director. And he threw away that career to go and like double down, triple down on ivermectin. He sells ivermectin on his website now. I mean, he's made so much money off of that. And has an has a massive social media following and like I knew him before that when he was a physician who was a person and a father and a wonderful colleague who seemed very sane and very following of the science and it's been interesting to see that happen on like a national stage when it's also very been personal because I know him and I would not have ever thought he'd do that and yet there he is like all over the news being this national figure for something that's completely bogus yeah, yeah. Is, I, I don't, I mean, he had plenty of money before yeah. and I don't know what it was. It must've been attention or he doesn't you know, like being told no. Do you know what I think it is? Um, so back in January of 2020, uh, we had a guest come on the show by the name of Robert Evans. Have you guys ever listened to the podcast behind the bastards? If you, you haven't, you should check it out. It's a great podcast. It's about the worst people in history. It's really funny done by this, um, this journalist who's, who's very sharp and, and, um, and so he came on our show to talk about like medical grifters. And we talked about Andrew Wakefield for, for quite a while. And I asked him at one point, I'm like, do you think from your like reading about him, learning about him, do you think that he really believed what he was doing? And his answer was no, not really, because he thinks Andrew Wakefield is a really smart guy, but he also thinks that he realized how hard medicine is. And medicine, practicing medicine in the way that you're supposed to practice it is really hard. It's really hard. It takes a lot of your emotional energy. It takes a lot of your time. And if you're doing it the way you're supposed to, it, it'll pay. It'll pay. You always pay well, but there are other jobs that pay better. And there are ways to make that kind of money and use your medical career, your medical license that aren't so hard. And I think there's never been a harder time for medicine than now. Even before COVID, we were talking about burnout, you know, the, the inbox load, the, the, the patient load, the, the stress that's on doctors, frontline and non-frontline doctors. So I could see why. I think a lot of these doctors are smart and they may not note consciously, but they're looking for a way to do medicine that does not require them to practice in the way that we're practicing. And this is the easiest way to do that by being controversial, by, by courting these people. If you're a really good doctor, you're boring. You're, if you're practicing medicine the right way, you're boring, you know? But if you're being iconoclastic, if you're going out on a limb and saying the government's hiding ivermectin from you, then that's exciting. And people want to buy that. And people are listening. And that's how you sell shit. So anyways, that's, that's my perspective on it. Um, okay. Wow. You guys are great. This is a lot of fun. I, uh, thank you guys so much for joining me in, in this. Let's... Um, if people like this, we'll, we can do it again at some point. I really apologize for everyone whose emails and questions I have not gotten to. I promise you, I really do appreciate them. And I do read them. Even if I don't respond, I'm really sorry. Um, but I really appreciate it and, and keep sending them anyways. And hopefully one day I'll get Sophie to, to log into the email account and start reading those emails. All right. Uh, let, let's get plugs for everyone. Let's start with you, Sophie. Where can people find you? Sure. Um, primarily on Twitter at Sophie Balzora MD, and you can find our association, ABGH, the Association of Black Gastroenterologists and Hepatologists. It's a mouthful at Black and Gastro. Absolute must follows. Kelsey? <laughs> at Nurse Kelsey on Twitter. And also must follow. You're probably already following her. She's got like a billion followers. Uh, Harry? At Delta Harry Thomas. 
Also, Harry exploded on Twitter. Did you guys notice that? You never got to talk about the, the tweet that went viral. Harry went from like 3,000 followers to like 40,000 followers, like overnight. What the hell, Harry? My phone exploded that night. <laughs> Can you tell people the tweet before we go what, what it was? that, that It was, it? Um, you know, I was saying that, you know, I went to these different universities where I studied medicine and immunology and public health and some bot with eight digits in their uh, username told me I knew nothing about them all in a single tweet. And it generated a lot of, uh, lot of interest, um, many from uh, people who said, well, that person was probably right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was an interesting experience. Um, and yeah. will probably never happen again. So, you yeah, are you well go deserved. viral once or twice, and then you don't <laughs> want to go viral ever again. Yeah. <laughs> it was interesting, especially since I got so many DMs from just some really hateful people, mm. and it, it was curious because I really didn't say anything about you know uh, the vaccine specifically, yeah. but you know they deduced that I was kind of a pro-vaccine individual, and just so so much hate. Uh, from anti-vaxxers and, and and some other people as well, and uh, it it was uh, it was definitely illuminating. Sorry, man. Sorry, but now you're uh, Twitter famous, so there you go. <laughs> Heavy is the head that wears the crown. Um, <laughs> thank you all so much for coming. Talk again soon. Good night, everyone. Thanks, Kelsey. Nice Happy to see you. Kelsey. Happy birthday, Kelsey. Oh, thank you. Happy birthday. <laughs> To get a chance. What are you doing? Are you drinking tea out of a spoon? Should I put my video on? No, I want to know why you're drinking tea with a spoon. Look at Harry's face. He's like, um, Harry, you are know, you upset? Just, I don't. I do it sometimes. You just <laughs> that sip weird? by sip. Take your, <laughs> your tea with a spoon. That's not normal. Sophie, can you do, can you do the intro? Oh hell no! Please. No, Harry needs to like. No, just try it. It'd be so people would love it if you did it. No way! No way! I get tired. This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a physician or other qualified healthcare provider for your specific healthcare needs or concerns. The opinions expressed on this podcast do not represent the opinions of our employees. Details in the podcast have been changed so that patient identification is not possible. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.